Hello and welcome to another episode of the Film and Frequency podcast, where we delve into what we love about motion picture entertainment. This week kicks off season two of Film and Frequency with a look at the career of Hollywood icon Emma Stone. From Superbad through to Cruella, Mark and I unpack exactly what we love from Stone's eclectic filmography. Later in the episode, Mark speaks with Emma Stone's superfan, Billie Jean Smith, and also Ross will be fighting an under-the-radar FF pick of the week. But first, an Emma Stone-centric discussion from Mark Whiteside and me, Corey McKinney. Welcome back to another episode of the Film Frequency podcast. We're here for season two, and we're going to be talking about Emma Stone this week. She's been working for around... 14 years, I believe. She's made a lot of different films. We're going to be talking all the way from Superbad right the way through to Cruella, her latest film that was just out last week um, on Disney Plus and in the cinemas as well, I believe. Um, Mark, what's your... So we're going, to, we're going to be talking about the films we've seen. We're not going to run through every ones because I know there's some you haven't seen. There's definitely some I haven't seen. Um, starting back, I presume you've seen Superbad. Yes, I have. Um, I didn't watch this. I was quite late to the Superbad, uh, but I still think this was the first time I saw Emma Stone in a film. Yeah, for me, um, Superbad was one of those ones I definitely watched when it was out, and it was one of the um, teen movies. A film about nerds, which I thought was pretty good, you know, going to the party, and I was probably around that age where I just started going to parties myself. Um, and I was like, yeah, that's kind of like me, um, but, but not really. Um, McLovin. And, yeah, and Emma, Emma Stone was like, um, she's like a girl next door in this film. She just plays the girl next door character. I honestly, because it was the first time I had seen her in a film, I didn't know who she was, and she wasn't one of the lead roles in it. So I kind of, as, as bad as it sounds to me, I kind of glid, glided through the film without even realising uh, who she was or anything. But, I mean, it's commendable to make your start in a, a raunchy uh, rom-com like that. It's not even a rom-com, a raunchy comedy, basically. Mm. Um, and it showed that she had um, comedic perks and timing. Her comedic timing is really, really good as well. Some of the things I was reading about her, um, she is originally called, her, her name is Emily Stone. When she went to register for the, uh, the Actors Guild in America, there was already an Emily Stone, so she decided to use Emma Stone. Um, and the reason she went for Emma Stone is that um, she was a really big fan of the Spice Girls when she was growing up. And um, Emma Bunton, I think, was one of her favourite Spice Girls, which is such a random fact. Yeah, so that's why she went with Emma Stone. So, yeah, see, she was she was born in Arizona um, to uh, parents who had Swedish, German and British um, heritage. Um, so that's quite the mixture there. She decided at the age of 15 that she was going to tell her parents she was going to go to Hollywood and be an actress. And in order to try and convince them, she decided to put together a PowerPoint um, to set her parents down to, to listen to her PowerPoint and uh, argument as to why she should go. And she called it Project Hollywood. <laughs> and it worked. <laughs> and they were like, okay, fair enough. You've made it, you've committed there. So, um, And then obviously her raspy voice, I found that's a really interesting um, background mm-hmm. you were saying, Corey, about... Uh, colic she, that she suffered from. Yeah, when she so was she was a she had like was it she was just crying all the time. Is it child, that's like a is it, it's not a disease, is it? Is it something? Is it, it's like an illness. An but, illness, yeah. Um, it's quite common in babies. Yeah, yeah. like a, a colic, which involves a lot of like crying, and uh, because of that, they end up I think with like a very hoarse voice, mm-hmm. um, and that's the reason why she has this low raspy mm-hmm. voice now as an adult is from the colic that she suffered from as a baby, which is which is interesting. Mm-hmm. And who knows, that could have had a major impact on if she was successful or not. I don't, I don't know. I mean, I suppose it helps her stand out more with that sort of voice than others. No, yeah, I think, yeah, it's definitely something. It's, 
Once again, it's not something that um, struck me right away. I just thought she had just quite an interesting voice. But to hear that there was actually a, a health reason behind it as well, I thought was quite interesting. Um, yeah, so she did a lot of um, did a lot of TV performances. You were talking about her. Uh, she was in Malcolm in the Middle as a as a guest performance. I just stumbled across this watching halfway through a Malcolm in the Middle episode two days ago. It was almost like destiny. It was almost like someone knew I was going to do this podcast because I never watched Malcolm in the Middle. Haven't watched an episode in about ten years, and then. Who pops up of all people halfway through the episode is like a cameo. You know, she looked exactly like she does now. Like, she didn't even look that super young. Like, she was very recognisable. And it was a bit of a, you know, silly part that she was playing. But it's interesting to spot talent starting at such a small, small role. And I suppose they, you know, all these actresses like Jennifer Lawrence, I would put in the kind of the same camp as Emma Stone as mm. far as where they are in their career and kind of the age bracket and things. And it's interesting to see that, you know, they had a grafting period to go through just yeah. like any other actress to begin with. Yeah, there's definitely always, you'll be, you'll be watching sitcoms from the 90s and there'll always be someone pops up here and there. Yeah, yeah. I, I see like her next film after... Uh, Superbad was another comedic film. Like the next big one that I saw certainly was Zombieland. Um, that um, she played, and again, Zombieland being the sequel just came out the last last year, wasn't it? It, it it's very much a comedy gore horror film, and so she definitely was willing. I don't know if that was down to her own choosing but she decided to go down the path of of comedy to begin with at yeah. least, and she kind of hasn't veered away from that either. I think you can see that throughout most of her filmography is. There's a good bit of comedy in there. So actually, I was just looking at her filmography. So she's been active since 2007 and, of course, still active today. And she's made either one, two or three films every single year since then. Hard work. It's pretty mad, yeah. So after Superbad, she went on to be in The Rocker and The House Bunny. I have seen The House Bunny as well, um, which were comedy films. Ghosts of Girlfriends Past. She was a com- comedy character in that. And then, as you said, Zombieland, you know, she was kind of continuing that, was also jumping into another genre. After that, she did her first uh, voice acting role for, in Marmaduke. And then later on in 2010, was her first big role, which was Easy A, where she got the lead role in it. Which is a film, once again, 11 years old now, Easy A. I think I watched it when it came out and watched it many times since because I was such a big fan. Once again, one of these films where, you know, high school, kind of in and around the same age that I was and the characters that they're playing. It's a brilliant film. She's hilarious in that. I would say that was probably the first time I saw her as more than just an alright actress Um, because she is, this is her first big lead role and the comedic timing again, she had to helm that entire film. I think that's when, if you, I mean if you've seen Easy A you can tell, I think it's pretty clear that there's something special with her as an actress here. She's, She's very very good at everything in that. It's a hard performance to pull off either. It's not like your typical kind of rom-com college type film at all and yeah really it makes or breaks that film based on her performance and it's a very good film thanks to her so I think for me that was the big turnaround where I thought I could I can I reckon I'll see a lot of her in the future um yeah so after that it was I think by this point you're following Emma Stone's career back there in 2010 you were wondering wondering when she was going to maybe take on a more serious role in 2011 she did as we were saying three films in 2011 Friends of Benefits and also Crazy Stupid Love Uh, Friends of Benefits I believe she was more of a, um, a secondary character in it but she was Quite a main character in Crazy Stupid Love. Um, Was that her first Ryan Gosling? 
That was the pair first up, of the it? Ryan Gosling pair up, yeah. Um, and they did play. They play love interests in every single pair up that they're in as well. So this is quite interesting. You not only are they just both in the same film, because more often you'll have someone in the same film, but they're not playing the same kind of role. chemistry role, which you know can show that they definitely had that chemistry. How many pair ups have they had? I think three. Uh, Crazy Stupid Love, Gangster Squad, and also La La Land, of course. Um, but yeah, in, later in 2011 came The Help, um, which was obviously a huge film back then. I think it won an Oscar. And it was one of the ones I believe she got a nomination for. Have you seen The Help? Um, I have, yeah. What about you? No, no. I haven't. It was one of the big Oscar ones that year, That year, you know. Um, it's a film I enjoyed, but um, it was a really good career move, I think, for her, because that's her first bit of delving into... Oscar bait type movies and a lot of the times maybe comedian actors will take a serious role but it'll be in like an independent film which not many people may see but even just showing up in the help you know that means she's now put herself forward as somebody circle yeah which we then will see after the next 10 years um after that that she ended up going on to not only starring in more Oscar um, nominated films but also winning an Oscar herself um so yeah I think 2012 was the move into um, more high-budget action films as well. She she uh, made her move into the comic book genre, yeah. like like ninety five percent of all actors these days make yeah. at some point a splash into the genre. With the Amazing Spider Man, I always need to get these these the names of these films right because most of the time I just call them Spider Man. Um, yeah, the Amazing Spider Man <laughs> number two, um, directed by Mark Webb. Uh, she was of course Gwen Stacy in the film in both The Amazing Spider-Man and The Amazing Spider-Man 2 in 2014. Moving on to Gangster Squad. This one you didn't see? No, I didn't. Um, so this was the second collaboration with Ryan Gosling. and This was a Ruben Fletcher-directed film. It had Josh Brolin and Nick Nolte in it as well. Um, this was kind of a... It's an alright gangster film, but I think because movies like The Godfather and Goodfellas and stuff are such a high bar of gangsters, this was almost like gangster light. It was very, like, you know, glitzy and bright and it just wasn't it didn't really have the the grit of a gangster movie it was like a gangster movie made by disney almost um it was still it was still violent etc but um yeah it was okay i don't think i've rated it that high to be honest with you moving on what do we have else in yeah movie 43 she made a brief appearance in i don't think i've seen that and also the crudes she started uh, her second voice role which I'm actually quite surprised Emma Stone hasn't done more voice acting like she seems to be like the kind of actor who would relish playing see this is where I'm thinking you know when I said earlier about would she still get the the roles that she got if she hadn't got that raspy voice from the colic and this would be you know a good one to argue maybe you know she would maybe have a better understanding of how the whole interview process went or the audition process Mm -hmm. but uh, yeah and the crudes also came out last year like the biggest hit of the pandemic, basically. Mm-hmm. So I think you'll see another Crudes on the way as well. So it seems to have been the sleeper animated franchise here because um, it's doing quite well. Also, Nicolas Cage is in that, isn't he? I haven't seen the Crudes. I have. It's actually one I've not even thought of watching. I'm not quite sure why. It's DreamWorks, isn't it? Yeah, DreamWorks Animation. It does have Nicolas Cage in it as well. Ryan Reynolds, um, Catherine Kinnear. Definitely maybe one for me to check out. Uh, so after the Croods, we, of course, we spoke about the Amazing Spider-Man Two, and then she made another somewhat serious film, uh, Magic in the Moonlight, which was a Woody Allen film, and I think uh, it didn't receive that well. I think Woody Allen really hasn't been making 
I think since Midnight in Paris, none of his films kind have really... Kind peak a little bit. Yeah. But moving on in 2014, so once again, 2014 was a three-film year. Spider- Amazing Spider-Man 2, Magic in the Moonlight, and Birdman, or The Unexpected Virtue of Ignorance. This Birdman was the Alejandro G. Inaratu-directed movie, which was all made to look like it was shot in one take. It starred uh, Michael Keaton, Zach Galifianakis, Edward Norton. And Emma Stone played um, uh, Michael Keaton's daughter in the movie, a druggy type of character, um, and she wasn't in it that much. She does have a couple of big, solid monologues in the movie. However, a film like Birdman um, lends itself to monologues because it's all done in one shot, so... Most conversations obviously will have to be done either with both characters in the shot themselves or if they're speaking on their own it will be a, a monologue type situation. Um, but she had a really powerful monologue in it. And I think there was talk around the time she was nominated for the best supporting role for this that she just wasn't in the film long enough to be... Get, should, should, should she have been nominated for best supporting role? Um, but it was a really strong monologue and it was quite long it was maybe like oh so she didn't go up for best supporting she no. did she was, oh, she did? She, oh, yeah, right, she was okay. nominated for it but I think a lot of people said it wasn't long enough for her to be nominated I, she wasn't in the I think she was in the film less than 10 minutes yeah. is there uh, restrictions for that then with the Oscars I'd sure to be honest with you, oh. you know, I'd, I don't think there should be you know if someone has a break you know a standout scene yeah especially in a film like that yeah. that lends itself to having so few scenes uh, puts too many restrictions on a film as well because mm. then that adds to the whole politics of uh, you know there's certain films that are going to want an Oscar push yeah. and therefore they're going to start ch- making changes to scripts and all to make sure people can be nominated so yeah you're probably best down to subjectivity rather than you know putting actual specific limits on it what sort of character did she play in that? in Birdman she was a recovering drug addict um, and she was kind of having it's pretty different from her other stuff then yeah I think she wasn't she wasn't in the best she didn't have the best relationship with her father in it um, well nobody had a <laughs> had a good relationship with Michael Keaton in, in Birdman really um, but yeah she was she was good in it but yeah once again another one of her you know more serious roles mm-hmm. another dab into the Oscar territory uh, now the next one uh, Aloha 2015 film Cameron Crowe this was probably Emma Stone's most controversial movie because she was um, she was cast as like a Hawaiian uh, individual in this movie with a Hawaiian name and there was a lot of issues around the fact that she was not of that ethnicity and I think she played someone uh, a character of a different ethnicity from her own with a Hawaiian name as well so she then uh, collaborated with Woody, Woody Allen again in 2015 with Irrational Man um, and I think the, once again you've watched the Woody Allen documentary but he hasn't been in the best light for a while now and I think a lot of these films probably reflect that you know they're not getting the audience that they maybe once you would have done and I know these films in my circles I never saw them really promoted that much you know the, like the way Woody Allen was such a successful director back in the 80s you would think these movies um would be a real big yeah. push. However, I, I did, in when I watched that documentary, I've never watched a Woody Allen film, but um, he, he's, like, prolific with how many films he puts out. It's, like, one a year. He's done, like, over 80 films or something like that. So I feel like there's a lot of these films that don't ever get a promotional push. Mm. Otherwise, we would have heard many, many, many Woody, Woody Allen films. So, But, yeah, I agree. I think he was at his, uh, his peak back in the mm. 80s, I think, because... Um, with Mia Furrow, Furrow mm. uh, isn't it? Farrow, Mia, Fur- Mia Farrow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like they did some very big, uh, some of them ones I've heard mm. of their their projects. Yeah, so moving on, she did a uh, twenty sixteen. She had a 
uncredited cameo in Popstar Never Stop Never Stopping. Um, <laughs> and she played Emma Stone, I believe, in that as, as herself. And then the you know the big one was later in twenty sixteen, of course, the Demon Chazelle's uh, La La Land alongside Ryan Gosling. Uh, the musical all based around Los Angeles. Mark, you're a fan of this film, aren't you? I am. This would be my favourite Emma Stone film. And I think that this is the one that has solidified her as one of the, the best actresses there are around and the most high profile um, and one that you're, you're going to see. I think that elevator up to the like the levels of like Jennifer Lawrence, basically. I would put them in kind of... They're good friends, I think, as well, aren't they? Yeah. I mean, they really... If you ever see them in interviews as well, they're like two peas two two in a pod. They really are. And, and they are both very, very talented. But yeah, this definitely elevated her because obviously she won the Oscar for Best Actress here. I was reading that... The last time an actress for a musical won Best Actress was in 1972, which was um, Liza Minnelli, I think, or something like that. Mm -hmm. So it's been a very long time since then, and I totally believe she deserved that. Um, She is excellent in this film. Again, another uh, collaboration, Ryan Gosling. She, in my opinion, is um, so much better than Ryan Gosling in this Mm -hmm. film. Well, she had to carry a lot more, and there was a lot more performance than he had. And, um, yeah, 100% deserved in this film. Yeah, I think some, a film like this really lends itself to an actor because, you know, I think she plays... she playing an actor in the film? Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, she's, she, she has all that experience of not being, you know, not getting roles, not getting accepted for things. You know, actors can really play on that kind of experience and she's fantastic in it. All the, you know, the dance numbers, numbers the, the singing, um, and... I always think Ryan Go- Ryan Gosling is a hard person to act against because he doesn't act that much, you know. So you really have to put in a shift when you're with Ryan Gosling. I do think he's brilliant. Yeah. Um, if you've the other the nice guys, I'm a big fan of that movie. I think he's hilarious as well. But he just doesn't do those type of roles often. He's normally no. quite moody and quite uh, yeah yeah. I think that's why she maybe gets paired with him because she is very much. She's like a chameleon when it comes to mm. roles and emotions. Like she really emotes in her films um, and to pair her with a bit of a deadpan face Ryan Gosling is probably a nice blend you know you can't have another deadpan actress who doesn't really emote much like if you put someone like Kirsten Stewart or um, Elliot Page or something alongside Ryan Gosling it wouldn't work because they're kind of both you know deadpan but yeah Emma Stone or you know could work quite well on the note of being able to take from her own experiences of uh, rejection during the whole becoming an actress and getting into roles, um, apparently she was re- the one that really got her was the role that Hayden uh, Patinier, Patinier, so. um, from Heroes got. Yeah. She said she auditioned for that, and that one was like she had reached like bottom level as far as yeah. uh, emotions were. Involved. It's quite surprising because I, I mean, when Heroes came out, I know it was very successful, but it did kind of like drop off the way. The way I think it was one of those series that. You know, a lot of, I mean, none of the actors really made anything from Heroes, you know. I don't see, I don't think I've seen anyone. It's also a big move, TV, because if you're in a TV and it does take off, that's you contracted every season. Mm. And what if it doesn't take off, really? What if it's one of those ones that kind of drags on and is kind of infamous for being terrible? That kind of can ruin an actor's potential. And think about the films that she would have missed out on if she had Mm. taken that Heroes role. It's one of those things of like, you know, I got told this advice recently of, like, the right rule won't pass you by, or if you get rejection for something, you never know what will come around the corner mm. that will actually be able to scoop you up 
And that's, you know, looking back on it in like 10 years time, you'll then go, oh, well, I would never have got that if I hadn't got that. There's always, not necessarily always, but there can be a lot of the time some sort of silver lining yeah. that kind of redirects your life. So no, same sort of thing with actors. Yeah, so moving on past, I suppose after you win a you win an Academy Award, where do you go next? Um, it's kind of a lot of things that question actors ask. She did make Battle of the Sexes in 2017, which was a, um, a sports film about tennis players. And it was another Oscar-nominated um, one, mm. I think, or at least it was campaigned to be in the Oscars. Yeah, I know, and um, once again, it's collaborated again with Steve Carell after mixing together in Crazy Stupid Love. Um, it's one I haven't seen, but... Quite an interesting sounding film. Actually, just reading the um, synopsis of it, it's one I might actually check out. But once again, it's a completely different role. You know, she changed her whole look for that movie as well. Um, you know, it's completely different from what she just did before. Moving on, have you seen The Favourite? 2018's The Favourite? Yes, it is. Yorgos Lanthimos. Now, he is a director that you either love him or absolutely despise him. Or um, maybe you're somewhere in the middle. What, what did you think of it? Do you know, I've kind of forgotten. I think I was somewhere in the middle. Yeah, hmm. I give it a 6 out of 10. Yeah. So yeah, it, w- it was somewhere in the middle here. It was interesting. It wasn't your normal period drama yeah. at all. Um, I still remember the scene that really got me was when the Queen, uh, played by Olivia Coleman, Olivia Coleman and Rachel Weisz's character, mm. and they're like wheeling her in. Isn't she Prince Anne? Yeah, Queen Anne. And so Queen Anne's being uh, wheeled in after like a. A dinner party or something and she's having one of these mood swings and then Rachel Weisz uh, provides a sexual act on her and I remember being like whoa like that was such a shock up to that point I had no idea first of all the history there and mm. I did not know that's where the film was going and uh, yeah that's still kind of and then Emma Stone's character oversees it mm. um, like she's hiding in the, in the room at the time but yeah, it's I still remember that scene. Yeah, I've seen so Yorgos uh, Lanthimos has this very specific type of dialogue with over explaining. Like his actors will over talk through the roles, and it's uh, watching all. This, if you've seen, have you seen any of his other movies? Um, he's also got done the the Lobster. No, I haven't. So if you watch, it'll be interesting if you watch more of his movies. You'll be like, that is the exact same way that this. It's really interesting. Like, is this way he writes dialogue is either you either love it because it's so quirky, or you're like, this is the strangest thing I've ever seen. Yeah. And um, I watched his. So I'm a big fan of his. Um, the Killing of a Sacred Deer is another film he did. Uh, I give it a seven out of ten. The favorite I give a seven out of ten. I watched his first movie over lockdown, Dogtooth, one out of ten. The worst film. It has that aspects of his like. Um, the speaking style but, but a film, lot of it oh, and it's just a horrible horrible film yeah um, sometimes these directors when you you go down the rabbit hole towards <laughs> when they started they've had so much free range that it's like yeah. overindulgent maybe overindulgent or like they're their own worst enemy basically yeah or they get too much power yeah. and then they ruin whatever they had as a division it's interesting that he started that way and you know if I had saw the film to begin with as the first film I've seen of his I probably never would have watched another but um, he's definitely fine-tuned it somewhat and I think it's if you ever watch The Killing of a Sacred Deer it has that element that dialogue style but it's also like really scary as well and quite a good thriller um, and she will be re-collaborating with Yorgos Anthemus next year on Poor Things which I believe was announced last year last sorry last week is a retelling of the Frankenstein myth 
Um, so the Frankenstein story with a new kind of type of twist on it. Um, so it's going to be quite interesting. Okay. I see that for that film, it's also interesting when it came to the Oscar campaign. So they weren't sure because all three roles between Olivia Colman, Emma Stone and Rachel Weisz, all of them had similar sort of level of characters in the film, the favourite. And they weren't sure which ones are going to go for the supporting role, best supporting role, or go for the best actress. Mm -hmm. And apparently Rachel Weisz and Emma Stone were so nice and lovely because they've already won the best actress before. They decided to um, almost do it behind Olivia Colman's back and just go for supporting for them too, so that Olivia Coleman could go in yes. for the best actress. Mm. And that's why, then after seeing all the, and then as we all know, Olivia Coleman did extremely well and won best actress in pretty much every award ceremony, including the Oscars. Yeah. And if you see in the uh, awards acceptance speech, she kind of mentions about that and says that it was a unit and these mm. two lovely girls were so nice to kind of let me get the chance to get this. and. So it was a really, really nice, endearing um, nice. uh, favour that they uh, that they did there. Yeah, that was cool. So after the favourites, she returned to sequels um, in 2019 and 2020 to two of her other popular films, Zombieland, Double Tap, where she played Wichita, um, and then back with another Crudes film, as we were saying, A New Age in 2020. Zombieland, Double Tap, did you see? It's no, I didn't. Film? It's one, I, it's okay. I thought it was very much like the first Zombieland, which Zombieland Double Tap is like a 2009 film made in 2019, you know what I mean? It didn't really, I think it would have been a lot better back then. I think comedies maybe moved on slightly uh, and a lot of the stuff that was funny last time wasn't really funny. Like the whole Bill Murray thing in the first film I thought was brilliant and they just didn't really... They just redid that, did they? Well, you didn't really play on stuff like, you know, you would like to see a bit more of things like that. And, you know, it's the same kind of, you know, Woody, Woody Harrelson and... I was never the biggest fan of Zombieland. Mm. It wasn't really my thing the first time around. Um, I think, I mean, I still thought it was decent, but I didn't think, I didn't love it. I gave it 5 out of 10, so I, yeah. I didn't like it. And then, of course, she did the Croods 2, mm. um, Croods A New Age, which apparently was like, so it was released at Thanksgiving sometime around then, last year, 2020, and basically ended up chugging along the whole way through Christmas and uh, made, I think, I think the most, maybe, well, it made a lot of money basically hmm. at, the, at the US box office for what it was. That's crazy. And then of course Cruella is what uh, she's just recently uh, been in. But I, so neither of us have seen this. Um, I am not a big fan of these type of, like, uh, 101 Dalmatians is a movie I've maybe watched as a kid, but... I'm not really, don't feel that much about it. So, I, you know, watching something about one of the villains, like an origin story, doesn't really interest me. Um, yeah, this, this Cruella seems to have got mixed-ish reviews. Mm. And then I heard a synopsis. There's a YouTube vlogger, um, Pitch Meetings. Mm. And he basically does these, like, impressions of a pitch in yeah. a studio, pitching the idea. And obviously some of it's exaggerated, but it sounds, I don't know. I don't know if the story's for me at all. But yeah, as you said, I'm not sure if I'm really that keen on origin stories for villains and things. Mm. Ah, to me, again, it's the whole problem. Hollywood getting too lazy and sloppy. Just come up with something new. You don't need to try and like show, shoehorn in kind of very bland origin stories to these other characters. It's the same thing with uh, even during this week. Willy Wonka. We're getting an origin story of him now. 
Timothy Chalamet. We're just getting, you know, it's it's because franchise is so important to making mm. these films, and they're just like, yep, let's just shoehorn in another film into this franchise and this one and this one. And again, it might be part of this contract thing as well. Maybe they have yeah. to make one every so often. Yeah, I mean, apparently Emma Stone's very good in this, and she, I think she. When I heard that she was doing this, I was like, oh, interesting, we're going villain, which she hasn't done before. Yeah. But I was like, she's such a chameleon with her films, she'll be, mm. she'll, she'll knock it out of the park. So I'm sure she does a very good job in it. Mm. I was reading an interesting fact about it. The Emma Stone was really, she wanted to have uh, Cruella's like, um, iconic big long cigarette in the cartoon. But ever since 2005 or 2015, Disney have now, you're not allowed to smoke in any of their movies. It's written into the laws of Disney films. You can't even shoe cigarettes in the movies anymore because it gives off a bad image for the children. So they couldn't actually put in an I- iconic piece of... Um, That's a good interesting. I ne- yeah, because I, I haven't seen it in any of the promotional yeah. videos. And it's such an iconic part of Cruella de Vil. Yeah. It's so strange. Ah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, in this day and age, it's not very surprising, that type of thing. No, know? it's not. I mean, again, that would be something I would be against removing because... Mm-hmm. If you want to make a film authentic about it, an old time film, you shouldn't be able to put in restrictions like that. But um, I guess I understand, you know, Disney's a brand for kids mm-hmm. and therefore and families yeah. and therefore it maybe just doesn't fit with them. However, Disney have made more questionable things uh, <laughs> recently. For example, um, looking at you, Mulan, um, having filmed on a concentration camp in China. I mean, I would say that's a, a yeah. bigger problem than putting a fake cigarette into a film. True. They could have had it, if they had a, somehow set it in um, present day, she could have had like a vape pen or something. Or something. <laughs> but uh, So I believe it, so it's set, is it set way back? It's yeah. Like, oh, yeah. it is, so it's not just like the... It's re- like in the 60s or something, 70s in England. Interesting, interesting. So we were, I think we had mentioned that we were going to maybe talk a bit about what you'd like to see Emma Stone do next. We've, we've been talking about her film career. Um, obviously, she started out off on TV. And she's made some TV uh, appearances since. You know, She was playing a role in 30 Rock. She's had a lot of um, small appearances in iCarly. She did Saturday Night Live three times, which she said was her, um, her, her big goal in acting was to be asked to be a guest on Saturday Night Live. And she's done it three times, um, which I think is pretty impressive. And she must have met her husband there, yeah. I reckon, because... Um, her husband, uh, Dave McCarry, I can't read my writing, <laughs> um, he's a comedian and a writer, and I believe he's one of the main writers on Saturday Night Live. Yeah, interesting. So I, I reckon that's maybe where they met. Yeah. And she's now just had a kid in March there nice. um, with, with Dave. So one of my favourite um, Emma Stone performances is her TV show, uh, Maniac. I absolutely love Maniac. Um, she went and started working with uh, Jonah Hill again, of course. So they were, you know, the two leads in this series, which was quite interesting because she started with Jonah Hill way back in Superbad. Um, I love this. I, I love the idea of watching Emma Stone in for more than an hour and a half in a movie. So I get to see Emma Stone for like eight episodes. And I think it's a fantastic series. It, you know, goes inside. You know, I love stuff to do with the mind and like flying through dimensions etc etc and this is a great show you haven't seen it have you? no i haven't i think you love it because you know every episode there's an episode where like they're like elves and like a lord of the rings type situation and what's the plot like because i thought i heard that was where it kind of falls apart a little bit <sighs> i enjoyed it i mean it, it's all set in this like they all pretty much go for this like you know, like free testing where you can make a bit of money to be kind of a lab rat. And yeah, out, clinical like, trials. Clinical trials, yeah. So they um, end up going way inside their heads. I think it's a great show. Um, but yeah, I think a bit of it is a wee bit wacky, which is why it wasn't so 
successful um, a wee bit uh, yeah, artsy for, t- for many people what about you Mark in the next 10 years where do you see her career going uh, I think she's here to stay I think she'll go down I mean it's big words at the moment but I think she's already risen a very quick ascension to the very top um, kind of ream of actresses um, and I given that obviously she has a clear very high work ethic because she just keeps on making loads of films and to be honest, none of them are very few duds in there as well. So I think she's good with picking the scripts. I would love to see her. I would say she's one of my favorite actresses now as well. I'd love to see her in an action role. We haven't seen her venture that much into action, um, and I think she she's ready for it now. And maybe like a Christopher Nolan film would be really really nice. I would definitely, if I could handpick actresses and actors to go into the next Christopher Nolan film. I would say she would be she'd be in that handful mm. because uh, I think it's a very safe bet to get an excellent performance. Emma Stone would be a very solid um, pick. Yeah, because what I love about Emma Stone is we're talking about the next ten years of her career, but it's not as if we're going to hear that Emma Stone has been cast in an action film and be like, can she pull that off? Or you know, yeah. any genre she's pretty much done so far, and she could probably do. You know, I'd say comedy is probably the hardest to pull off yeah. out of the lot, probably. Yeah. And she already she started that. She's yeah. nailed that. So, and yeah, action. You're totally right. She could nail that, no problem. She's done musicals. She's already done the trickiest ones. Yeah. Art guest this week is billy jean smith hi billy hello and uh billy's just gonna i know you're a big fan of emma stone so we thought uh we'd definitely bring you on and hear your take on emma stone and her her filmography and her performances what do you like about emma stone what have you seen of her so i think the very very first film i saw of emma stone in was house bunny and it's a very like traditional chick flick of like girls they're all like nerdy and one buff one comes in and she teaches them how to be like buff and have boys chase her which is probably not the kind of film you'd get so much now I think we've kind of developed out of that I mean it's still a a chick flick so we get loads of them but uh seeing that as a teenager like nerd ones go go babe is basically all I was about so (laughs) when she moved into super bad and she was then the buff one um that the nerdy boys liked it just she's always been a very girl next door kind of yeah um character yeah, we were saying that as well so, uh, yeah how funny yeah. we never actually talked about this um and i've never seen it or even heard of it so she what sort of character does she play in this she plays the nerdy girl so that basically the the premise of the film is they're all at like university in america and they're they're basically about to lose the house that they're staying in and they're all rejects the other houses no one else wants them and the house bunny Anna Faris plays the house bunny and she is a playboy bunny that gets kicked out of um Hugh Hefner's mansion so she's homeless and she's walking through all the the university um kids and she stumbles across the losers kind of thing and um just makes them as cool as she can so it's basically strips them of their clothes and makes them earn lots of money and get with the buff boys so what 2008 this came out yeah i'm still waiting for that to happen but yeah it was it was a really good watch at the time probably 
I would have highly recommended it then. <laughs> I don't know so much about now. <laughs> I don't know if it's got that rewatchability factor. <laughs> yeah. Have you seen Easy A? Yeah. Uh, I, I feel like this would be one of your favorite ones. That's definitely my favorite. I could watch that even now. No, I mean, it's all about high school and the popular kids still, but I think that was really her breakthrough. That was, she was the main person in that role and she, she freaking rocked it. We've said it's not an easy role to play that one that she plays in um, an easy A. You know, it kind of makes yeah. or breaks that film and she's kind of front and center with that one, whereas the other one she isn't. Yeah, exactly. I, I wouldn't say she's like, obviously she's gorgeous but i'd say she's kind of unusually gorgeous like she's not your stereotypical um actress and i think that's why a lot of people like her as well she's very like gorgeous normal person she's a normal person she's quite um distinct features and also a a note on 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 her facial um appearance uh she apparently was told when she played um her role in superbad um jules um judd apatow the director he actually said to her how about you go ginger so she's naturally a blonde and she he was like you would suit ginger a lot better like a redhead essentially and she was like right okay i'll go for that and i think that was she was a redhead and super bad and since then she kept the redhead this iconic kind of ginger so she's not actually ginger which is a rare thing normally i would imagine most girls i've talked to would say you know you would die away from being ginger kind of Which she's <laughs> yeah, kind of doing the opposite all her life uh, in, in Hollywood. Wow. And to be fair, there's a lot of redheads in Hollywood. Yeah, I mean, the only other one I can think of is Jessica Rabbit. Yeah. There's way more, but like... Yeah, it's like Jessica Chastain and Amy Adams and things. But yeah. it's interesting to see that, like, I don't know why that... I suppose she stands out even more, but I agree her facial. She isn't your typical pretty girl. And then we were saying about her raspy voice as well, as well, yeah, helps yeah. her stand out. She... If I wouldn't if I wouldn't have seen her or, like, um, you know, she does that scene in the, the gym where she's all, like, in the corset and the feather boa i would actually think she's quite tomboyish if i'd have just heard her voice. But she was also a um in spider-man wasn't she i kind of always forget that role yeah yeah amazing spider-man yeah have you seen her in any of the um brian gosling pair-ups so like crazy stupid yes, love or la la land she seems what, to pair up with think? him an awful lot what did you think of la la land oh uh, it's my favorite out of her performances i really like really? la la land yeah Aww. um and i'm not a musical person but i i rewatched that for our one of our earlier podcasts and i liked it even more than the first time which is rare normally i i don't like a film as much after i rewatch it so yeah i thought she was really good in it if you had to have uh if you had to decide her next move into her next films what would it be what film would you choose for her to play in next well she's kind of gone into corella deville at the minute hasn't she so she's gone down that bad street i would have if i wouldn't have known that was coming out i would have probably said it'd be interesting for her to kind of go more down that side because she's i think she's kind of in a little bit typecasted where she's the like she's the um the relatable kind of odd girl out um so it'd be like a good spin so I'd, i mean i definitely will see cruella deville and see if they cheese baller or if it's like actually quite successful i'm when it comes to disney films now i'm always a little bit hesitant to to go and check them out yeah yeah she definitely it was in when she was announced as cruella um i find that it's quite interesting it was definitely a curveball and everything she's done so far where she's mm. playing the the protagonist um and now she's playing a villain so and I reckon she's 
she'll do really well in that. I reckon it'll be a really good performance. I've heard mixed things about Cruella, but I, I've heard she's good in it. But that could be, yeah, a route where she could go down a more kind of evil route or a more sinister character route in the future. I also think she hasn't done many action films, which would be kind of cool for her to go into maybe in the future. She seems to be pretty good at the whole rom- rom-com and comedy um, end of things. So I wonder yeah. if she'll keep going in that um, in that route. She's done um, very well at being the funny girl, hasn't she? Yeah, yeah. yeah that definitely. can be really difficult as well. That couldn't that can really ruin a career if it, if it doesn't land right. So. Yeah, I think comedy is probably the hardest for, for, mm. to, to act in honestly um or at least to be able to do more than just comedy because anyone who's like very comedic can only maybe they're just typecast in comedy but they seem to like then stick in it and mm. not move out of it like seth rogan things like that but yeah yeah what would be your favorite emma stone performance favorite emma stone performance probably super bad because it's such a golden film like you can't go wrong i've watched that film so, I, I actually couldn't tell you how many times whenever i'm in a bad mood i'd like it's so a- accessible to get to i just whack it on it always makes me feel feel better and i think it's because everyone's so young in it as well um but yeah what would you say um i well the super bad's a good choice there i need to re-watch super bad it's been too long far mm. far too long i can barely remember any of it i just remember mclovin <laughs> that's about it and the <laughs> and the, the driving license you could put anything on and if you tell me that she's in it like she's not someone that i obsess about but i'm always like oh yeah and i just feel like i mean she's not um, she's no like angelina jolie although i don't really know if you'd say angelina jolie is the best like female <laughs> actress going i know she's had a her um, <laughs> terrible moments but like i just feel like you kind of know the level of quality it'll be in. So far, I've been so heavily disappointed with her, so I stick by that. Um, yeah. Did you see Birdman? I um, imagine I haven't seen Birdman, no, but um, oh. it's very out there, Birdman. I'm not sure if it's my mm. type of film, but I heard she's good in it, in, in Birdman. I think you, yeah, I, I get what you mean about uh, Angelina Jolie kind of being that star par kind of, the star actor has kind of died a little bit. You know, mm. back 10, 20 years ago, you put an actor, attach an actor to a film and you can almost guarantee some sort of success from it because people flock to go see that actor. Whereas nowadays they, they flock to the franchise or flock to the, the type of film. It doesn't really matter what the actor is. And I think there's far fewer star actors than there were back then. And I think maybe Emma Stone might start to fall into that category. I do think she's the very top region of actors that you can rely on to bring in. You know, I would put her in the same breath as jennifer lawrence mm. um especially after i think la la land i feel like she's definitely hit that sort of platform she could kind of get any role she wanted at this point but yeah it's, it's hard to tell if if she on her own merit would bring in an audience if the film's not that great if, if that makes sense i don't know but i don't think that's necessarily a bad thing either because very few actors can do that these days anyway i feel like that's how and i feel like i could get a shot for saying this but that's kind of how tom cruise has survived for so long yeah yeah i would agree yeah. i would agree tom cruise <laughs> would be one of those star ones i i, I love the man he's he's <laughs> he's i would go see a film if he's been put in it to be fair i ever <laughs> he very much relies on mission impossible these days which again oh, is a franchise boy, so he? i don't know i don't know if he could land a franchise i mean he was in that mummy and it did terrible so <laughs> <laughs> don't know okay billy thanks for coming on and telling us uh your adoration and love for emma stone and uh I'm, I'm sure we'll have you back on again at some point soon thank you very much cheers for having me
slasher movies. Love them or loathe them, they have been a staple of pop culture since Janet Lee first uttered that piercing screech in the 1960 Hitchcock classic Psycho. With Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Black Christmas coming 14 years later, the genre really took off, however, with the release of the 1978 classic Halloween, sparking the so-called golden age of slasher movies. It is this very era that provides the basis for the nostalgia-encased 2020 Uruguayan homage from Maximiliano Connetti Al Morir La Matinée, released as red screening in certain regions. Clearly created as a love letter to the genre itself, Conente additionally pays tribute to the institution of the cinema itself, with the entire movie taking place in a movie theatre in Montevideo. All the troops of the genre are also present. Doomed young couple? Check. Bookish female protagonist? Check. Near indestructible antagonist, largely hidden until the movie's third act? Check and check. While unlikely to be a blockbuster hit or to gain a vast critical acclaim, Conanti has provided a tale that, to be frank, is just schlocky, blood-soaked fun. Combine that with the cinematography that drips with 80s slash 90s flair, reminiscent of a certain strange group of boys in Hawkins, Al Morir La Matinee will have you reminiscing fondly of those old trips to the cinema and hopefully inspire you to head back again soon. What have you been watching this week, Corey? What have I been watching this week? I watched Mainstream, Andrew Garfield's latest film by Gia Coppola. It is awful. Really? Oh, it's a 5 out of 10. I did not like it. Wow. It does seem like it swings for the fences. Yeah, I think it's a really good comment on social media consumption, but Andrew Garfield's very good playing... uh, He's really good at wacky roles, and he doesn't do them enough. He made another film uh, called Under the Silver Lake, where he plays like a guy who's thinks that you know the whole world's against them and he's fantastic in that I'd highly recommend it it's all set in LA um, and this is the same where he's kind of like a vagrant kind of character who then doesn't like phones so his whole thing is like he hates social media but then he becomes like a social media influencer and uh, Maya Hawk's character is kind of like um, pushing him in the right directions etc but he's he's brilliant in it but the film just fell flat for me it just wasn't interesting enough um, maybe a bit too short as well so like 90 mm. minutes. Um, that's a disappointment because I love the trailer for that. Same. And they play that. I've been. To, I've actually been harping on about that song to loads of people because I finally found it because I couldn't find it in the... I tried the Shazam when I was listening to the trailer but it's part of the soundtrack um, and there's a scene at the end of the film where he does like a dance number to that song and it's really good. It's definitely worth a watch, kind of. I, I'm, I'm giving this film praise but I'm not saying people should watch it. Um, what about yourself? What have you been watching? Um, I'm halfway through... Uh, watching My Life which is a 1997 no 1993 I think film with Michael Keaton and Nicole Kidman we're doing, we're doing very well to um, put this back to Emma Stone because obviously she's worked with Michael Keaton and she's also worked with true. Andrew Garfield that is true we're, yeah. we're, we're tying the knots or tying the six degrees together mm-hmm. and yeah I mean it's all about a man who gets diagnosed with cancer and he's in his early 30s he's got a child on the way and it's all about how he deals with that grief and how he approaches it and he kind of reflects on life a bit more talks to more family than he would regularly do mm. and uh so far it's quite decent we'll see where it ends up interesting 
Uh, right guys, thanks for listening to our first episode of Season 2 of the Film Frequency Podcast. I hope you enjoyed listening and we will be back next week with uh, our next episode, episode dos. <laughs> we're back on the Spanish translations. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We kind of give that up at the start of it, but <laughs> we're, we're back on it. We're going to have to work them through now. Get a um, different language this time. Yeah, so next week we're going to be back with Wes Anderson's Isle of Dogs, I believe. Uh, and we're going to have a special guest. Marky's our special guest. Uh, it is Amelia, who is from... Um, she's half Lithuanian and half Norwegian, but living in Manchester. So loads of influences. And uh, she's a big fan of Wes Anderson. Wes Anderson, yeah. I'm really excited for that one too. And I believe Ross will be back with us on that one because he also, much like many people, is a big fan of Wes Anderson. I'd love to see him still do a Wes Anderson movie. That would be cool. I'd definitely For more on Film and Frequency, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Film and Frequency and on Facebook and YouTube. Just search Film and Frequency in the search bar. Until next time, have a brilliant week. Stay safe and keep watching films. <laughs>